Now, Birdsong, fun and fascinating talk about the top stories in today's headlines. Birdsong may just be the most qualified talk show host in the business, thanks to his many careers in law, government, and education. Here's your host, Leonard Birdsong. Hello, folks. This is Birdsong back with you here on the radio. I love being here with you, and I hope you like hearing me. i got a good show for you today. We're going to talk about some news commentary, the good, the bad, and the ugly of the news of this past week. There's a lot of it. Can't get into everything, but you'll hear the things I'm most interested in. We've got some dumb criminal law stories coming up. We've got a guest today, Rick Feeney. He's a book consultant. I know some of you out there have written novels or books and you want to get them published. Well, Rick Feeney may be able to help you. Of course, there will be maybe uh, some riddles, of course, with the dumb criminal law stories. And maybe there will be time for a Paul Harvey story. But let's jump right into it. Start the news. The good. The good has to do with Mr. Trump and Mr. Kim. President Donald Trump and North Korea leader Kim Jong-un made history on Tuesday, that's in Singapore, it was Monday night for us, with a one-on-one meeting to size each other up and start discussing that, uh, start discussions that could open the door to negotiations on denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. The unprecedented summit between the two men who only a few months ago were hurling insults and threats at each other, took place at a secluded island resort off the coast of Singapore. Kim arrived at the summit site shortly before Trump. The two leaders emerged from different wings of the opulent hotel, standing on a red carpet. They then handed, uh, they then headed side by side into a private meeting, each accompanied only by a single interpreter. Trump said the meeting with Kim was very, very good, and that the two men have, quote, excellent relationship. He said at the beginning of the expanded discussions with aides from both countries, we will solve a big problem and big dilemma. So the optics were very good. However, it could be a summit without substance. There's been criticism. I don't want to be a big critic, but I came across some words from uh, a writer here. Jennifer Rubin, she's an op- opinion writer for the New York, I'm sorry, for the Washington Post. And she wrote that uh, President Trump gushed at the summit when he met Kim. It's an honor, and we will have a terrific relationship, I have no doubt. Those were President Trump's words. Jennifer Rubin said, an honor to meet the man who maintains slave labor camps, who periodically attacks the ships of our ally, South Korea, and whose regime is responsible for the death of Otto Wambir. That should stun Wambir's parents and every decent human being. Trump envisions a terrific relationship with a country that condones mass hacking, is arguably the worst human rights offender and threatens us with nuclear weapons. How do you really feel, Jennifer? Well, some of us feel the same way, but I want to be optimistic about this. This was a big deal. There was a statement after the all the niceties. I have this statement. It's too long for me to read. It doesn't have a lot of substance to it, but it says things like, the United States and the North Korea commit to establish new U.S. 
North Korea relations in accordance with the desires of the people of the two countries for peace and prosperity. And it goes on to say that the United States and North Korea will join their efforts to build a lasting and stable peace regime on the Korean Peninsula. Nothing more substantive than that. It was, we met, we talked, there will be further talks, and we hope everything will be all right. I certainly do. The optics were good for our president, but better for Jong, uh, Kim Jong-un, who is now equal in his eyes to the United States because he's a nuclear power. I don't like it, but we hope for the best. There's more good news this past week. Just days after Kim Kardashian urged him to act, President Trump on last Wednesday commuted the harsh sentence of Alice Marie Johnson, the 63-year-old Tennessee great-grandmother, who was sentenced to life in prison in 1996 on nonviolent drug charges. Best news ever, tweeted Kardashian, who met at the White House with the president to lobby for Johnson's release. Her name, Alice Marie Johnson. Her commutation is inspirational and gives hope to many others who are deserving of a second chance, said the president in the White House. Went on to say, Ms. Johnson has accepted responsibility for her past behavior and has been a model prisoner over the past two decades. Despite receiving a life sentence, Alice worked hard to rehabilitate herself in prison and act as a mentor to her fellow inmates. Now, when I was a prosecutor in Washington, I handled a number of homicide cases. And in Washington, D.C., there was no death penalty. However, you could ask that people be put away for life. And yes, Birdsong had to do that in a couple of cases where I advocated that the defendant who did dastardly deeds in killing people or persons should be put away for life, and the judge went along with me. However, I never had a case that was a nonviolent case where I ask anyone to be put away for the rest of their lives. I think that's cruel and unusual. I really do. But the good news is that um, Miss Alice Marie Johnson got a commutation of her life sentence after spending 21 years in federal prison. Another sort of good story, maybe you heard about the pizza guy in New York. A pizza delivery man arrested for being in the country illegally after he brought food to a Brooklyn military base has won a bid to delay his deportation. A federal judge on this past Saturday approved Pablo Villa Vincencio's emergency application. Mr. V, who would have been deported on Monday, will now remain in custody of the Immigration and Customs Enforcement as he pursues permanent residency, rather, according to the Legal Aid Society. The Manhattan federal stay is in effect until July 20th and prevents authorities from moving this fellow who has no criminal record other than being an undocumented, undocumented immigrant to the United States. Now, he has an American wife and two American daughters. They have argued that to deport him, they would be left destitute. A number of people have come to his aid. He was a delivery guy for a pizza shop 
the the uh, army basically near where he worked ordered food very often and they let him deliver and they let him come in on this past week they asked for more identification and they found that he was there was a warrant out for his arrest for violating his immigration status he was supposed to leave the united states in 2010 on what's known as voluntary departure he did not depart so he was up for deportation but again a federal court felt that this case needed more time to be looked at on humanitarian for humanitarian purposes now i know as a former immigration lawyer that normally he would have to return to ecuador and maybe have 10 years before he could come back if he was deported. But however, since he's married to an American citizen and has two American children, his wife could petition for him to become what's known as an immediate relative. They could probably get a stay of uh, deportation based on hardship of the family. And uh, if he could get his uh, green card, he would have to probably go back to Ecuador, where he was from, for a few weeks, not years, and come back legally into the United States. But I wasn't his immigration lawyer to tell him that before he started all of this. But it's good news that his case has been stayed by the federal court. Now, what about some bad news? Last week we had the death of Kate Spade. She was a handbag designer, lived in New York, made quite a bit of money. Unfortunately, she hanged herself at her home at 850 Park Avenue with a red scarf attached to a doorknob. Her body was found by her housekeeper last Tuesday morning. As you know, in my family, I had a daughter that committed suicide. I never like to read stories about suicide. This is a very sad one. A suicide note left investigators to believe her factious marriage to Andy Spade had participated her decline. She and Andy had been living separately for at least six months, according to the fashion industry sources, who added that Kate's drinking had been a problem before the split. Her sister, Rita Sofo told the Kansas City Star newspaper that her younger sister had suffered from mental health and substance abuse issues for years before she and Andy began uncoupling. Very sad. Kate Spade and your family. Too many questions are left behind when a sibling or a wife or a daughter or a son commit suicide. Other bad news in this same last week, Anthony Bourdain also committed suicide. He was a celebrity chef and TV host who traveled the world to explore the nexus of food and culture. He died on Friday in an apparent suicide, according to, N- to CNN. He was only 61 years old. Bourdain was a good storyteller and good writer. He loved great adventure, and he loved food. 
Mr. Bourdain, who was a chef, transfer, transferred his, um, transformed rather his popularity as a best-selling author and celebrity chef into TV stardom through his program on the Travel Channel and on CNN, where his travel series Anthony Bourdain: Parts Unknown has been on the network's most popular program, or one of the most popular programs since it was launched in 2013. I just heard today that uh, this program will be continued and will be shown on Netflix for at least the next year. So that's the bad news. I always hate to hear about suicides. I had one in my own family. Now some ugly news. The ugliest news of last week, in my opinion, is that President Trump went to the G7 summit in Canada and threw Prime Minister Justin Trudeau under the bus. President Donald Trump left America's closest allies in a state of shock and outrage Sunday after a verbal barrage against Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who had just hosted Trump and other leaders from the group of seven industrial nations to uh, a rhetorical assault on Trudeau, characteristically delivered on Twitter and was echoed by two of his President Trump's top two advisors. The bizarre aftermath of the G7 summit in Quebec was a political calculation, many believe, meant to show muscularity in advance of the historic summit in Singapore with North Korea. Now, it's just really sad. At the end of a summit like the G7 and other summits, normally there is what's known as a joint communique put out by or signatories to all of the people who were involved. There was a there was a communique, as I understand it, that they all signed, but at the last minute, Donald Trump reversed on signing it to look strong. He took his name off. I think that is bad. I think it's very bad. Throwing our allies under the bus is nothing good. That's ugly news. More ugly news, as far as I'm concerned, is the moving the goalposts. Some of you may have heard that this past week, Attorney General Jeff Sessions has ordered immigration judges to stop, to stop granting asylum to most victims of domestic abuse and gang violence. You can apply for asylum if you are an abused woman and your government of your country can't help you out. Also, gangland violence, which threatens the lives of people, has also been used as a way to show persecution, which would allow you to get asylum. However, Jeff Sessions and the attorney and the immigration service have changed their mind. They've overruled the case that allowed women who've been abused by their spouses to get asylum and by people seeking asylum based on the fact that they may be killed by gangs. The decision, which immigration advocates are sure to aggressively fight, came as Sessions seeks to use the authority of his office to sharply change U.S. immigration law to make it less friendly 
to asylum seekers. That's ugly, in my opinion. All right. Final, finally, we have an ugly story about who? The worst lawyer in the world, Mr. Giuliani. He says that Robert Mueller, the special counsel, is trying to frame the president in this witch hunt known as the Russian investigation. Now, the problem with all of this is is that Mr. Giuliani doesn't even know what's going on in the investigation because Mueller only speaks through the indictments that he brings out. I found today that Rudy Giuliani cheated on his wife with a married New Hampshire hospital administrator just a little while ago. The mayor turned presidential lawyer, who's 74, and Maria Ryan, 53, began an affair before he and his wife, Judith, Judith Nathan, separated last month. And Nathan filed for divorce five days after the pair was spotted getting cozy at a resort hotel in the Granite State. Giuliani, who's recently been at the, <laughs> Giuliani, who has recently been the face of President Trump's legal team, denied the affair. However, Tuesday after it broke, the story of his relationship with Ryan, that is the New York Post, broke this story. He acknowledged, that is Giuliani, acknowledged that he had dinner with Ryan and watched a movie at the posh spa with her, but claimed he was already in, separated from his wife. But the wife, Miss Nason, who's 63, angrily shot back in a statement, quote, my husband's denial of the affair with the American Mrs. Ryan is a false, is as false as a claim is that they were separated. Now, to end the story, Giuliani and Ryan dined at the hotel's resort's restaurant. After dinner, the woman went back to his room with him. This is reported by a waitress. The waitress says, we were all surprised because he is really getting in on years, and she was quite a bit younger than him. We were all like, hmm. End of story. The holier-than-thou Rudy Giuliani cheating on his wife. This is Birdsong. There's more to come. Stick with us. Okay, folks, I'm back with you. We heard the news of the week, the good, the bad, and the ugly, in my opinion. I don't know what your opinions are about it, but you can write me at L, you can email me at lbirdsong22 at gmail.com if you want to comment on it, and I'll read your comments on the radio. Right now, let's have some dumb criminal law stories. These are stories from earlier this year, January and February. First story comes from Tennessee. He was bugged out. A naked man, high on a mixture of bug spray and crystal meth, terrorized a family when he broke into their house during dinner and cut his throat in front of them, police said. 
Danny Hollis Jr. told police he doesn't remember busting into the Lawrence County house or sitting naked at their dinner table before slicing his neck and jumping out of a second-story window. Yeah, he was bugged out. This guy was really crazy. <laughs> Good Lord. Story from Texas. Graffiti tacos. It has been reported that a mysterious graffiti artist has been spraying large purple tacos on houses in Dallas. The cartoonish image of the Mexican food <clears throat> with rising aroma waves has baffled and outraged homeowners who contend it is expensive to remove. The taco art has also popped up on some storefronts, fences, and a dumpster. No arrest has been made of the artist. <laughs> Graffiti tacos. Texas again. The headline said there will be no second date. A woman allegedly damaged $300,000 worth of art, including two original Andy Warhol paintings, belonging to a lawyer on their first date. Lindy Lehman, 29, of Dallas, was arrested on charges of criminal mischief for the destruction of Anthony Busby's artwork. The police report maintains that the belligerent woman allegedly tore down the pricey paintings from the wall and threw two sculptures. There will be no second dates, thank heavens. <laughs> Here's a funny one from Utah. The headline for this one, quote, any way you slice it, that's wrong. We learned that at least four Salt Lake City, Utah parking compliance officers were fired in December 2017 for allegedly letting restaurant workers park illegally in exchange for free pizza. An unusual pattern of voided tickets near the Cecilia Pizza Kitchen prompted a city probe that reportedly found that workers mostly ducked tickets by displaying Cecilia pizza menus on the dashboard of their cars. How ingenious. <laughs> oh, gosh. Here's one from Alabama. The headline for this one reads, Reads, Captain Punch. Police report that an Alabama man became so mad when his roommate left a box of Captain Crunch cereal open, he beat him, beat him up and was promptly sent to jail. His name, Dwayne Smith, 52, of the town of Moundville, flipped out because he has no teeth and the breakfast food is more difficult to chew when it's stale. So he beat up his roommate for that. <laughs> I guess if you don't have any teeth, you gotta have food that's not stale, not too crunchy. Here's a silly one from Alaska, but it's true. The headline said, the robbery suspect was caught cold. We learned that a 34-year-old man who robbed a Taco Bell in Anchorage tried to evade police by burying his black coat in the snow nearby. However, police officers who found the coat simply followed the tracks in the snow until they found the suspect by then shivering in the cold temperature. What a dummy. <laughs> the robbery suspect was caught cold. Amen. How about this one out of Austria? They were not jet foam. 
They were not jet fumes. A commercial flight had to make an emergency landing in Austria when a fight broke out over a man who was reportedly, over a man who reportedly wouldn't stop loudly passing gas. The Transavia Airlines flight was en route from Dubai to Amsterdam when two fellow flyers asked the stinker to control himself. <laughs> when he refused, angry words and then punches were exchanged amid the mayhem of the flight sat down in Austria. What can you say? The stinker had to be stopped. All right, just a couple of more. This one from California. They deserve each other. Thieves broke open a mailbox and swiped a package. What was in the package? It was filled with 500 cockroaches. Rosalinda Vizina, an entomologist from Seaside, California, said the roaches were for a study. Quote, I hope they went everywhere, she said. They deserve each other, the crooks and the cockroaches. <laughs> All right, the last story for today also comes from California. Senior citizen drug dealing? Fortuna, California police recently arrested 79-year-old Barbara Ingalls on drug charges after receiving a tip that she was allegedly selling meth at her retirement home. Detectives recovered three grams of meth, scales, and a packaging material at her home at the senior living facility and arrested her for possession of a controlled substance. Senior citizen drug dealing. My, my, my. What a shame. <laughs> this is Birdsong. We're having a little bit of fun. These stories are all true, dumb criminal law stories. You can read some of them for free if you go to my blog. It's birdsongslaw.com, all one word, birdsongslaw.com. New stories go up every week. These stories never stop. But what about a few riddles before I take a pause for the cause? I'm going to read the riddles now and give you the answers, but I want you to figure them out. I'll give you the answers before the end of the show. First riddle. What time is it when the clock strikes 25? What time is it when the clock strikes 25? Second riddle. Why aren't dogs good dancers? Why aren't dogs good dancers? That's the second riddle. The third riddle for today, why do people or why would people have trouble understanding giants? Why would people have trouble understanding giants? Those are the three riddles. Think about them. They're not that difficult. Think about them. This is Birdsong. We're going to take a little pause here for the cause. We will be back. There's more for you with our guest, Rick Feeney. Stay tuned. You're listening to Birdsong. Folks, this is Birdsong back with you. We're having a great show today. I, at least I'm loving it. 
have news, the good, the bad, and the ugly that I wanted to talk about this week. I gave you some dumb criminal law stories. They're all true. Now we want to speak to our guest. Rick Feeney is a friend and colleague of mine, and he has also been my book consultant. He has written and published, or had published, 81 books in the last 25 years. This man knows about publishing, and he's been very instrumental in what's known as independent publishing. Some of you probably have a book up in the, or manuscript up in the attic that you've never gotten published. Maybe Rick Feeney can help you out. Rick, welcome to Birdsong. How are you today? Thanks. Uh, I'm great. Glad Good. to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you. Listen, Rick, you uh, have been helpful to me, but this show is not just, or this interview is not just for me. You helped me write some books and get them published. What can you tell people who may be listening who might want to publish a book independently? Where do you start and what do you advise? Well, obviously, my thought is that if you have any kind of information where you can solve a problem, uh, relieve a pain, or help somebody to get ahead in some fashion, then that's a book. And and when I say book, people need to understand right off the bat that we're not talking a 100,000-word book. You might have five, <laughs> 10,000 words, you know, but it's a great idea. Or, or you got a great story. You know, maybe you overcame uh, a serious illness or, or some life event that really kicked for you. Or you've got a memoir or legacy you want to write. Or, or maybe you want to go out and try and become the next Stephen King. Who knows? Who knows indeed. So some people, as I probably know from going to book shows and things like that, Many people have that manuscript up in the attic that they just can't get published. What do you say to these folks? Can they do it themselves, and how? Well, today, anybody can get published, literally. You could write a book this afternoon and have it up on Amazon Kindle by later tonight. Not that I'm recommending you do that. I mean, I think that <laughs> it's critical that you always get a extra set of eyeballs, you know, by way of an editor. Uh, on your work before you publish. Uh, if I were to tell the three most critical elements of a book, it would be the title, the cover, and the marketing description. In other words, the outside sells the inside. Right. And if you get that right, then people will actually open the book and, and read the words, which is great. Uh, as far as writing goes and any part of publishing, uh, I always say, do your best, then outsource the rest. Uh, you know, find somebody to design your cover if you're not good at it. Find somebody to edit. Find somebody to lay it out in the format that is most acceptable. Now, again, this thing with independent publishing, is it expensive? Or can most people afford to do some of this? Well, it can cost you anywhere from zero to, I have clients, unfortunately, that have been hoodwinked and spent anywhere from 50 to to $100,000 uh, to get a book published. And the reality is, it depends on how much you know about the, the field. 
typically, if you go to meetup.com and search in your zip code, you will find uh, writers groups, which you can go in and chat. You can read some of your material and get critiqued. You can find people there that that are a little bit further along the path, and uh, they can help you out. But literally, if you uh, know what you're doing, it can cost you literally nothing to put the book up and, and publish. Now, let me, that sounds good. Now, let me tell our listeners, and I want you to comment on something you told me when we worked together. You told me that writing a book and publishing a book has, what, 5%? Yeah, writing and publishing. Writing and and, and 95% marketing, right, to get the book out there. Yeah, writing and publishing the book is literally only 5% of the effort. Even if it's taken you five years to write the book, the 95% of the effort is marketing and promoting. Uh, because the thing is, there are literally about 3,000 books being published a day. Uh, so how are you going to find your book? I mean, you go up to Amazon, you know, where there's millions and millions of books. Uh, you know, it's like trying to find a, not a needle in a haystack anymore. It's a needle in a needle stack. Literally, one of the things you want to do is go out and find out uh, whether somebody else already has your title. A lot of people make the mistake. They write a book, this great title, and it turns out there's already 16 books with that title. Yeah. Uh, and and what happens is all your marketing and promoting efforts go to the books that have been there long before you. Right. Now, this marketing can take a number of forms. I, You told me, after I had written several books and you thought they were pretty good, that I would have to do the marketing, and you said that uh, you'd have to, you wouldn't do it. I decided to use Twitter, which worked out pretty well. Have you talked to other people who've used that to market? Actually, I have. I know a few people that have used it to to great effect. Uh, Also, people that use Facebook and LinkedIn, people that are doing business books do really well with LinkedIn. Uh, Facebook, you can put up your own author page. Uh, Twitter, you can go out and start developing followers and uh, put information up. The point is, you did stuff that was interesting. And as far as marketing goes, I can say... uh, Honestly, over 25 years of doing this, I've probably had uh, three clients that actually put the marketing effort in, and and you were one of the three, which is why you had Amazon bestsellers and and books that have done very well. Well, if I had a book, good book, book consultant. So almost anyone can do it. You you will you can you. Not only help people publish books, you're an editor also, isn't that right? Editor, book designer, formatter, uh, book coach. Sometimes I help people uh, with the writing aspect of it, even I've ghostwritten a few books. Uh, depends on what they need. Most people come to me and have a really good idea, and uh, the text and the information is great. They just have to need to learn how to package it the most effectively. Right. Well, Rick, I want you to give your uh, email so people can get in touch with you. I know that you work with people all around the world. Let's have it. 
Yeah, if anybody wants to call and ask for questions and stuff, I typically uh, give uh, an hour free consult. Uh, you know, uh, basically, give me a email. Send me an email to USA Book Coach at Gmail dot com. That's USA Book Coach at Gmail dot com. And Rick Feeney is R I K. F-E-E-N-E-Y. Is that right, Rick? That's true. However, if you do try to go to my website, uh, because most people, if you ask them, how do you spell Rick? They're, they're going to say R-I-C-K. So my website is actually rickfeeney.com, R-I-C-K-F-E-E-N-E-Y.com. All right, Rick, it's good to talk to you. I hope people get in touch with you. And certainly we'll be talking to you in the future. This is Birdsong. Thanks so much for coming on. We've got more for you, folks. Stick with us. Hey folks, this is Birdsong back with you. I'm having a good time with you during this hour. I hope you're learning something and getting something interesting that you may not have heard. I love reading Paul Harvey stories. These stories are actually written by his son, Paul Arant. Today's story is called Excuses, Excuses. Mrs. Paul is a choir director for the Westside Baptist Church in Beatrice, Nebraska. Her daughter, Marilyn, is the church pianist. Neither has ever been late for choir practice. To the contrary, both are in the habit of arriving 15 minutes early. It's Wednesday evening, March 1st, 1950, 7 o'clock. Choir practice begins at 7.30. Mrs. Paul calls to her daughter upstairs. They should be leaving now. It's almost time. No answer. Mrs. Paul returns to her last-minute preparation, and the minutes are ticking away. It is now 7.15 p.m. when she realizes her daughter is asleep. So Mrs. Paul goes upstairs, awakes her daughter. There's time only to tidy up and start out. This will be the first time either Mrs. Paul or her daughter Marilyn has ever been late for choir practice. Their perfect attendance record is broken. But you know what? There are 18 members in the West Side Baptist Church Choir, and each and every one that very same night is also late for practice. All 18 have perfectly valid excuses, and all are late. You've heard the excuse of Mrs. Paul, the choir director, her daughter Marilyn, the church pianist, had fallen asleep after dinner and did not awake in time. But the others had excuses, too. LaDonna Vandergriff, a high school sophomore, was having trouble with her homework. Like Mrs. Paul and her daughter, Miss Vandergriff knew practice began promptly, and she always came early. 
but this evening she was detained by a particularly baffling geometry problem. Rowena Estes and her sister Sadie were ready to leave their home on time, but their car wouldn't start. So the two sisters called Miss Vandergrift and asked her to pick them up. Miss Vandergrift was working on her geometry, remember? And the Estes sisters had to wait. Ordinarily, Mrs. Schuster was ten minutes early for choir practice. The night of March 1st, she was detained at her mother's house. Why? The two were preparing for a later missionary meeting. Herb Kipps was at his own home. Would have been early. But there was an important letter he had to write. He had been putting it off for some time. The time got away from him. Excuses, excuses. Joyce Black would probably not have been early. She would have been on time, though. It was just so cold out that evening, she wanted to stay in the house until the last possible minute. So she was late. Harvey All, who would have been on time, but his wife was out of town. That left him in charge of their two young sons. A friend had invited Harvey and the two boys out to dinner. A pleasant conversation carried them away, and Harvey was late. Lucille Jones and Dorothy Wood were high school girls. They lived next door to each other. Lucille was listening to a half-hour radio program that began at 7 o'clock. She just had to hear how it ended. Dorothy waited for her. Pastor Klimpel and his wife were always on time for choir practice. Not that evening of March 1st, however. Pastor Klimpel's wristwatch, the accuracy of which he was always so proud, that night, ran five minutes slow. The remaining choir members had equally valid excuses for their tardiness. Excuses, excuses. Eighteen of them in all. Never before nor since had each and every choir member of the Westside Baptist Church been late for choir practice on the same evening. That was Wednesday, March 1st, 1950. Choir practice schedule for usual 7.30 p.m. No one showed up at 7.30 p.m. That is the rest of the story. 7.30 p.m. was the time when a natural gas leak surfacing in the basement of the Westside Baptist Church was ignited by the furnace. The church blew up, was demolished. The old furnace of the Westside Baptist Church was directly below what? The choir loft. The empty choir loft. Now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> That's a good one, isn't it? <laughs> All right. We're coming to the end of the show today. I love being with you, but I want to give you the answers to the riddle. Some of you probably figured out, figured them out. Here's the first one. What time is it when the clock strikes 25? What time is it when the clock strikes 25? The answer, it's time to get a new clock, folks. <laughs> Second riddle. Why aren't dogs good dancers? Why aren't dogs good dancers? Well, the answer is they have two left feet. <laughs> and finally, why would people have trouble understanding giants? 
Why would people have trouble understanding giants? Because giants use such big words, that's why. <laughs> oh, God, I love these riddles. All right, let's do a thought of the day, and I'll let you go on and do the rest of your day. Here's the thought of the day. We can no more afford to spend major time on minor things than we can to spend minor time on major things. Think about that, folks. You've been listening to Birdsong. I'm finished for the day. Good to be with you. Talk to you next week. <laughs>